0: What
1: goes in nerd Hello, welcome to Nerd cannon. I'm Beth. I'm Paul. This is a podcast where two librarians look at pop culture cornerstones from their childhood and decide if they are good enough to be shared with the next generation of nerds. Today, we are welcoming a very special guest. We are joined by Josh Zell from the Star Trek and the Jews podcast. Welcome, Josh.
0: Hi, Beth and Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're so excited Thanks you're for here. On. Yeah.
1: Um, do you want to tell we're the nerds? Yeah. Yeah, you're like you're like an actual podcaster. Uh, do you want to tell the nerds at home about your show and a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. So my name's Josh. I live in Toronto, Canada. I'm a co-host of Star Trek and the Jews, which is a monthly podcast that uses Star Trek to uh, boldly explore the worlds of Jews and yeah. Judaism. <laughs> and I think the best way to understand our show is that you know we approach. We do something a little bit ridiculous, which is treat Star Trek as like a, a sacred text and Perfect. try to use it to uh, to understand the world around us, history, religion, culture, things like that. And uh, it's been a great jumping off point for uh, for really fun conversations with people. I that
2: sounds, bet. I mean, some people definitely are in the Star Trek religion. This Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's a great show. I've listened to a bunch of it. I, I think you guys are great. So, um, so thanks so much for being here, uh, Josh. When you think of the next generation of nerds, who do you think of?
0: Oh well, I've been. I've got a two year old, and I'm constantly thinking. You know, I was raised on Star Trek, and my parents were raised on Star Trek. I'm like a third generation, Uh-oh. <laughs> and you know. You definitely don't want to force anything on a kid, but you also want to show them things in the right way that maybe they'll get hooked.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think there's a timeline where you have to do it early enough that they still think you're cool because once you're at a certain point – was it Cory Doctorow that was telling us that, Paul? Like once you're at a certain point, like they yeah. just – no matter what you say, you're too lame. Like yep. <laughs> so – um, He
2: was sort of dismissive of our whole enterprise, I think.
1: Because uh, ah! <laughs> he was like, they're never going to think you shit yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 That's probably yeah. true, but whatever.
2: No one noticed my good Enterprise pun? No. <laughs> no, I, I got it. I, <laughs> there you go, Paul.
0: It's just, it's
1: <laughs> Enterprise. Uh, very nice. Um, so today, as you can probably guess, and because, you know, you read it on the fucking thing, we are talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. Paul, do you have a bad synopsis?
2: I have three. Great. I Because I am such an overachiever at this. Uh, I feel like I have to make up for the past times when I failed. But here's the thing. I have three because they're very different in in tone. So do you want to hear the good, the bad, or the ugly of my bad synopses?
1: I don't know, Josh. What do you think?
2: I think if we're going to have a bad synopses, it should be
0: the bad, bad synopses. Yeah,
2: I agree. (laughs) So This is bad because I feel bad because I am a Star Trek fan. And uh, writing this makes me feel... Here you go. Ready? Road-tripping groups of misfits agree to live life by one rule, which they repeatedly break. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice.
2: Uh, here's my nice one, because I felt like I had to be nice to Star Trek. Diverse crews of talented individuals travel the galaxy with a message of peace and inclusion.
1: And chest hair. Oh, sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the record doesn't count. Uh, but here's my fun. Here's the ugly. Autonomous carbon-based cohesive units, excuse subspace nullifiers... Uh, Sorry, plasmatic subspace nullifiers in favor of Heisenberg capacitive turbo encabulators.
1: Nice. Very nice. (laughs) Folks, uh, TNG originally aired from September 28th, 1987 to May twenty. Third, 1994 spanning 178 episodes over seven seasons it was created by gene roddenberry starring patrick stewart jonathan frakes brett spiner and lavar burton the rotten tomato score was 89 percent fresh and 88 audience score gents i have two trivias and a lie Are you ready
2: okay All right, so i guess my first question is we're talking about star trek and we had sort of talked about this as like star trek as a whole but and at least, Josh. For this show, we mostly just talk about '80s and '90s stuff, which is our childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that also includes Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and and most of Voyager. I Voyager, Voyager. I was gonna say yeah. at least some of Voyagers in there. So maybe I, it, movies two
0: through, I want to say seven, eight. Yeah. Okay, so, so that
1: what is that your sounds like.
2: My trivia is my... just
1: next gen. All so right, that, cool. that makes all it sound good. to me that, like that we have to happy. have Josh back for other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. How could we There's talk too about much. all yeah, of it? Can, in our, yeah. So, Josh, we play two trivias in a lie. Uh, Paul has to guess which one I made up. Uh, and you no, can wait, help wait, wait. them. Just, not just what? me,
2: Josh has to yes, guess. Yes, you could you
1: should, Yes, but I'm yeah. a little nervous because I feel like you're probably an expert and you'll probably know what I made up immediately. Although Paul, hey, usually, you never know.
2: <laughs> Paul usually
1: berates me and gives me ten tons of shit when we do this, but he's getting yep. better at guessing. So I'm getting
2: better, and also I'm pretty confident about Star Trek. So well, we'll that's see. what I'm saying. If so it's just PNG, like, I'm I'm pretty confident. Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like anyway. I was
2: very confident about Fresh Prince though, and I blew that one. So.
1: So, one idea discussed by the production team was for Deanna Troy to have four breasts. Dan Aykroyd was a huge fan of the show and a part was written for him in the fifth season, but filming on the movie My Girl ran long and another actor had to be hired at the last minute. And new two-piece uniforms replaced the first two seasons' extremely tight spandex uniforms after a chiropractor warned that the cast members risk permanent skeletal injury.
0: So I definitely know the answer. I knew you would. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> shut up for a minute because I, I think uh, those are all great. Wait, the rule is that like <laughs> guests go first, though.
1: That's Paul's rule because he doesn't want to fucking guess. That seems less
2: fun. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll go first. Uh, so I, I'm pretty sure that the, you said – see, I wasn't listening. I was Again, thinking about the always. second one. But you, you say them too fast. I think if you really
0: think about the nature of Gene Roddenberry – and what those first few seasons looked like—that that should help with uh, trivia point number one.
2: I think. Well, I was going to say, uh, I think the number one is true. I think. I do think, think. that's in true. a row or like a like a cat. <laughs> like
1: a could cat. It be, could it be? Stop then, being... so then, do you have a boob window
2: for cleavage
1: <laughs> on the bottom? You have or... like a
2: belly button cleavage window. They're right? square. <laughs> I. Uh, this is too much thought about this. <laughs> I think it's good they didn't go with it, but I'm pretty sure that one's true. I'm also pretty sure the third one was about the uniforms being changed. Is yeah. that right? I am pretty sure that that's true and that Picard goes, and that's why he ends up with the, the top where he's constantly- The shh, Picard you know, maneuver. In his chair. Yes, the carpet <laughs> p- where he's constant. So I am going to go with uh, number two being the-, the Yeah, fixer.
1: you're right.
2: Oh, you didn't even give Josh a chance to- Oh, to, well, he already knew he's, he's over, over there nodding. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: the, the nonverbal cues don't really come across in audio. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd would have been great on Star Trek, though. Thank
1: you. So this is my, my He's struggle. He's weird enough for it. My <laughs> struggle is, well, and he believes in all that shit. My struggle to make these up is that I sometimes try to base them loosely on something and then change it to make it false. So that is a true story, but of Robin Williams. Oh. So Robin oh. Williams desperately wanted to be on the show. They wrote him a whole episode, but then he was doing Hook. And so it like went over. So I like looked up other movies that came out the same year as Hook and um, my girl came out. So I was like, well, Aykroyd seems like he would be a Trekkie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They do reach for some crazy guest stars. Voyager brings in uh, Jason Alexander, Seinfeld's George, and of course, uh, Abdullah, the King of Jordan. (laughs) So, you know, they, they had all kinds of different bases there.
1: Right. And like with Whoopi being in this season, just because she was legitimately a fan and she reached out, like to me, I was like, there could definitely be other. So anyway, that was my fake facts now. So let's start with Josh. What was your experience as a kid? You said your third <laughs> generation?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next, next generation. Uh, I don't remember ever not watching Star Trek. It was kind of on in the house. My dad watched a lot with the... Next gen, I was still pretty young for, but I definitely remember watching the finale all together. And then, really, like as Voyager started, the whole family would would sit together. I must have been seven when Voyager started, and we'd sit and watch them all. I remember uh, missing the third season premiere because swimming lessons ran late, and it was a it was a real emergency in the house. There was yeah. <laughs> no PVR or Netflix. We had to like call my dad's friend over to come tell us what happened. It was uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just happen. If you missed
1: it, you missed it, man. You like
2: it. it was over. Yeah,
0: and and I had uh, the Captain Kirk 23rd century Halloween costume go in a couple years, but oh, it always yeah. left me with a little bit of resentment. Like I'm sure Captain Kirk's parents never made him wear his snowsuit underneath his uniform because it was cold. Right. And, you know, true. it's Toronto. End of October it gets yeah, uh, it gets it's down there.
1: Same. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Paul, what was your experience?
2: So Star Trek, especially The Next Generation, was... I was thinking about this in anticipation of doing this episode, and I think it was sort of a positive feedback loop in sort of the genesis of my nerdity, if that's a thing. It was one of those things where I was already had this sort of interest in space and sci-fi and then started watching Next Generation, mostly in syndication, and it just... The more I saw it, the more I wanted to see it, the more I was interested in nerd stuff, the more I wanted to see it, the more I wanted to be interested in nerd stuff. And I definitely was racing home at times from various events to make sure I hit the TV. Uh, This was one of the few things that I programmed our VCR at home to make sure it would record for me uh, once we got that programmable VCR and I could make sure I saw the episodes that I would otherwise miss. I watch this all the time. I would say that Next Generation, again, is my, that's my, where my Star Trek heart lies. And Deep Space Nine, I would watch it if it was on and I appreciated it, but I don't think I fully appreciated it when it was on as much as I would now. Voyager was hit or miss for me, I I think in general. And then by the time, you know, I guess we're after our time period, but like I have, I, I was never a fan of the original series. At one point in my life, I tried to do like a rewatch of every Star Trek episode. And I, I started with TNG foolishly thinking when I want to start with my favorites. And I made it through TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise. And then I was like, I'm going to go back and watch the original series. And that's where I failed that's where i could not i could not get through the original series i still to this day have an old old star trek board game i was a big collector of the collectible card game that was the tng card game this was formative for me in my nerd my nerd history uh so especially tng and the movie's especially the TNG movie. So, this was this was a big deal for me. And I, I'm going to tell you a story that I that hi, only hi. one other person, sto- only one other person knows this story, and I'm not sure if they even remember.
1: And now all 35 of our listeners are going to know.
2: Right. Uh, and it's going to be out there on the internet forever. But there is so I uh, uh, there was a, a good friend of mine in middle school especially who hang out with him and he had this cool old house. And this house yeah, at one point had a dumbwaiter in it that had since been boarded up but if you were in the basement which was semi-finished you could there was this closet this weird sort of half off the ground closet with shelves in it and you could open this closet up and you could climb up Jesus. inside <laughs> the top of this closet was oh, open no. where the dumbwaiter used to be and this friend and i would this was like a cool secret place because you could sort of sit on top of this shelf Is this
1: your obsession with hidden can-
2: this is definitely can- part of it. I think that's, I think this is before that. I mean, my interest is before this, and this made this cooler. There are other cool little spaces in this house, but at one point, I still have this very vivid memory of that of the two of us sitting, so we would just go hang out in this random space. Like, this is probably before middle school, actually, but we would just go, uh, um, hang out in this random space and chill because it was totally secret. And if the house burned down, we were sure to die because no one would knew, no one knew where we were, but uh, we, and I, I wonder, cause now the family has since moved out of this house. It's not like I can ever go back. But at one point we went up and on the inside of the wood inside of this old dumbwaiter shaft, we carved various things into the wood, and one of the many things we carved were like TNG rules, or you know, like all these stupid, like, Star Trek Forever, and all these things about how amazing Star Trek was, and uh, that, I, I don't know, if there's something that cements my nerdhood forever, I don't know what else might, but uh, yes, I've, I've never really told anybody that story before, but I, I, I'm kind of spoiling the end of this episode, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess we can go through the motions. Uh, we'll just um, pretend
1: yeah, we're not sure if Josh... Is this going right?
2: to be like the third episode in a row where Beth is like, I- I've never seen this before.
1: No, eat a dick. Um, no, <laughs> I watched it. Um, I watched it on and off as a kid. None of the rest of my family or siblings were like Trekkie people necessarily, but everyone kind of is like low-key positive <laughs> sci-fi people. So I watched it on occasion as a kid. And when I got a little older, like into my teen years, I would watch it if it was on and friends of mine would watch it. I definitely watched Voyager as like... A girl power type of gal. I was real into Janeway, and um, you know, I then I watched a little bit more dedicated. Tried to go back and watch TNG and and watch the original series. And there was a whole period, maybe like a decade ago, when I was was ill and at home a lot on the couch with Netflix and I watched a I watched a lot of the original like all in order. Yeah, like low key while playing Candy Crush like whatever, but <laughs> I mean I watched a ton of it and then I knew that I'd watched quite a bit of Next Gen as well, but when I went to do this rewatch for the uh, for this episode, I was surprised at how much of the first season I really remembered once I like looked at it, you know. That's too bad. <laughs> so I mean I I think I I think I must have watched more than I would remember but I've always I've always liked Star Trek quite a bit and I I think I've watched more of it and like chosen to rewatch more of it than I would say Star Wars because everyone is like the non-nerd people I think conflate those things and I yeah I've always enjoyed it so I was happy to rewatch it for this.
2: All right, let's get some more trivia. I'm, I'm yeah, eager. let's
1: do some fun facts. Okay. Roddenberry really didn't want a bald captain. And so they made Patrick Stewart audition with a toupee.
2: Oh, I thought he chose to do that. Didn't they say, like, tell him to take it off then?
1: He took it off once he got the job. But Roddenberry was really against him being bald. Worf's prosthetic forehead changed in season two because the original was stolen. Uh, Michael Dorn's makeup as Lieutenant Worf took approximately two hours to apply.
2: So there's someone somewhere who's got the original Just Worf the forehead. forehead.
1: Just the Worf forehead.
2: Like in a little plastic case with a light on it so I'm assuming,
1: <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like the Necronomicon, like it's like flesh feeling. Yeah. <laughs> when the cast decided to lobby for a salary increase, Will Wheaton's first offer from the producers was to instead have his character's rank raised to lieutenant.
2: His, re- <laughs> his
1: response was, so should I tell my landlord when I can't pay my rent? Don't worry, I just made lieutenant. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: they, in the 24th century, you know, they don't need a salary. They seek yeah. to better themselves and humanity.
1: Yeah, correct. So I thought that was cute. Um, and we're librarians, so I had to. I had to include this one. While co-starring in the series, LeVar Burton continued to host Reading Rainbow. Um, and in 1988, the show released its most popular episode of all time, the Bionic Bunny Show, which featured behind-the-scenes look at the making of TNG and bloopers, which at the time was the only legal release of bloopers. I'm really restraining myself from singing the Reading Rainbow theme. Song. I was
2: just thinking <laughs> the same thing. <laughs>
1: I can go anywhere. I can't. I can't help it. Yeah. Jonathan Frakes uh, returned to rehearsal after the start of the second season, sporting his beard with the intention of shaving it off before shooting. But they dug it, and they asked him to keep it. Um, and in one segment, Hugh sarcastically notes Riker is more fun in the beard. <laughs> <laughs> Marina Siritz wore dark contact lenses for her role as as Deanna Troy. In reality, her eyes are green, but they felt the producers wanted her eyes to be darker to match her hair. Oh, I guess you could have
2: gotten me with that trivia. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I.
1: I, yeah, but to be
2: an to, alien beta zed.
1: Yeah, here's yeah. the thing though: it's way easier to find real ones that are dumb. It's harder to make one up out of your ass. <laughs>
0: so,
1: <laughs> um, the craft services they had like a real low budget at first, and the craft services were really bad. So the cast would often sneak onto other sets on the Paramount lot and steal food. Denise Crosby admitted to slipping, out, frequently slipping onto the set of Cheers. Huh. That's fun. This is kind of a more well-known one. This one, I knew that the doors were so loud that the actors had to wait um, until they would close to speak. And also, they were always instructed to walk at the doors full force with confidence, but in reality, they did not always open because they were manual, especially in the original series. And so if you Google it, there's lots of great blooper reels, especially War for some reason, just blasting right into it at full speed and like wiping out and it's very good and my last one paul this is for you because you told me i made this person up bunty bailey auditioned for the role of tasha Yar. <laughs> do you read that no, part I that it. tell the, Josh who he, that
2: is bunty oh. bailey is the woman in the take on me uh music video yes oh i listen. see how well i listened and learned
1: so when we did that episode, Josh, I went down a whole wormhole and I watched like documentaries on the making of the Take On Me music video. And that actress's name is Bunty Bailey, which is made up as hell. And Paul was giving me 10 tons of shit. And when I saw that fun fact, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. So, the-
2: <laughs> wow. okay. so Yeah, there you better. go. I'm
1: so impressed that you remembered that name because that's not your that's not your thing you like to that's remember. No. Um, okay, so let's talk about our uh, rewatches. I watched all the episodes that you guys suggested to me.
2: Oh, uh, I don't know which ones Josh suggested. Well, both Eye of you
1: suggested it. Justice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and let me just say so I turn
1: it on and I'm immediately like, holy shit, the wings! Right. Yeah. But I remembered that episode. Like, I, as soon as it started, I'm like, wait a minute. I know I watched this before. Like,.
0: As soon as they pull out to a full body shot, you stop thinking about the wigs, though.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Everyone's right? half naked. My other, like, very soon on, oh, they're like, we run everywhere. And I'm like, bitches, you don't run everywhere because none of you are wearing bras.
2: <laughs> this Guess is a jogging planet.
1: <laughs> yeah, we just we just jog everywhere. Okay. I think that's called a
2: monokini, right? That's the official.
1: It's, dude, I don't know. Some of them are like real fluttery in the butt cheek region. I mean, then this is not a complaint for me at all. But it's close to my summer
2: wardrobe, right there. You just don't see me because I'm not at school. But
1: <laughs> wow, um, it's that's something.
2: To. I I will say this. For my rewatch, I mostly just watched the first season. My condolences. I watched maybe uh, two-thirds of the first season, and partially because the first season of TNG is arguably the worst. The second season, unfortunately, has Gates McFadden leaving, and we get... Pulaski uh, is the doctor. Pulaski. Yeah, Pulaski is yes. And that's unfortunate. And there's a lot of unfortunate things about the second season, too. I, I If I were to su- suggest somebody to start watching TNG, I would probably tell them, like, just start in the third season. It's fine. Watch Farpoint and then watch the third season on. I sort of challenged myself to watch the worst, what I thought was like the worst of TNG and see how I felt about it. I think there's some still good stuff in there. But man, there are definitely some episodes where I would skip. And Justice is maybe like the height of... Like,
1: well, it's got your annoying campy. Wesley. It's got the campy. cat like it's got all that weird good. sex
0: planet. Weird sex planet. Here's the thing about
1: weird sex planet too. <laughs> Why are we still covering women's breasts if it's a weird sex planet? Like that's a funny holdover.
2: Weird
0: sex planet for prime time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Say, yeah. Well, listen, I get be, it.
1: I get it. I'm just saying. For
2: prime time. There's a lot of situations. I get the dynamic was supposed to be in the first season of TNG. The dynamic is supposed to be they're going to take aspects of Kirk's personality and split them into Riker's supposed to be the dashing hero sex pot aspect and Picard's supposed to be the wise, intelligent captain part. And like Riker, the the idea that he's just out there sleeping around with like every alien species that they encounter... Well, but so did Kurt. Well, yeah. I mean, the same deal. I don't care about the original series. Sorry. <laughs> I was surprised. I'm watching this on Netflix as a rewatch, right? And it has the little warning for like who, sh- what age group should be watching this. Oh, okay. And, like, every episode, at least in the first season, season's got a sex warning on it. Like that's the little keyword. It's like sex and fear and sometimes violence. Is Is it like
1: all the spandex? It's like... I
2: don't know. I think it's just the... Maybe it's the acknowledgement that sex exists and that's where we are. But, like, Riker definitely goes for it just for no reason.
1: I think it's for the reason of getting his dick wet.
2: (laughs) Did you watch the episode where they go to the planet where it's a female-dominated society and the men wear shirts that are half off their chest? Angel One, maybe? Yeah, I didn't get Angel to that one. one absolutely, Angel One. I remember one. it. You should watch Angel, at least part of Angel One, because you get to see Riker's bare, hairy chest. I'm actually um, all set on the Riker, the deepest of all the deep V's. <laughs> you
1: know that if I'm picking somebody, it's not Riker, right? Like we know right. that's not my choice here.
2: But don't you like the the very high knee, you know, knee pose? Put my put my foot up on all the set. table I'm where you're set. sitting. No, uh,
1: yes, please, Choi. and I would take Riker's supposed to be on this I diplomatic
2: mission though. And he he sleeps with, like, the leader of this entire planet for no reason. I mean, anybody, if, if, I don't know, it's just problematic that you're a sort of diplomat and you're going to then all of a sudden very unethically sleep with this leader of this other civilization that you're supposed to be diplomatically meeting with. There's some issues with Riker, I feel.
0: I will say this for the first couple seasons. There's a certain awe and wonder from the original series that's in those first two clunkers that disappears. (laughs) Like, when you get to season three and four and kind of space is known, uh, the Romulans are over here, the Klingons are over here, this is how we do things. It gets a little more familiar. It's like a a place that's been established. And I think those first two seasons, which really, they're they're hard to get through. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they have that like space is weird and wonderful and terrifying aspect from the 60s that was yeah. almost like a it almost had like a sci-fi horror to it element that that I think sometimes yeah. gets kind of forgotten um and that's really there uh in in the in the first two seasons a show that, like, even though those seasons are in the late '80s, they really you could you could put those back
2: in the '60s and they would have fit yeah, right. No,
1: I, I agree they, with they you. Pull
2: it a lot from the original series. Yeah. Like, I mean, Angel One even has the idea. Like, that's a very dystopian, tropey sort of plot where it's this. Oh, it looks like a utopia, but they have this weird rule where if you jump over the fence, they're going to put you to death. Right? Yeah, and that's that's a and I, only I think, when
1: the thing is there and when we would like.
2: If you're in a punishment zone, yeah. I mean, that's a, something you see, I feel like we see often in middle grade, young adult dystopian novels. Oh, hell and,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, Beth and I being librarians at schools, like, that's a very much a dystopian, oh, we're going to explore what this means, and uh, in a very 60s sort of way. Right. But yeah, the it's, uh, just skip <laughs> the first two seasons, man, they're not... I'm sorry, It feels bad to me.
1: I mean, coming from a spot, Josh, where you looking at is it a sacred text, like I wonder if you think some of those like kind of heavy handed moral things. What I read, and I, maybe I'm wrong about this trivia, is you know, Roddenberry was really involved in the crafting of those first like two seasons, three seasons, and he had this whole oh, I'm losing I'm losing the word. He had this whole idea of how he wanted It to be and what the like not the mythology but the the dogma almost of of it was supposed to be there would never be characters fighting with each other they would be you know this prime directive business and there really is a lot of super heavy-handed moral stuff Mm -hmm. which again then is like they don't always make the i don't know they always try to like really puzzle it out and then as he got he less involved it maybe becomes more formulaic like you were talking
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a real revisionism that took place even in the 1970s about the original series. Like, what happens to Roddenberry in the 70s? He's a showrunner, but he can't get a new show going. And he makes a living doing, like, the college lecture circuit. And in this time, he's, like, becoming a humanist, and he was, like, hanging out with people like Isaac Asimov. Yeah. Um, But I think he's also being, like, peppered by fans telling him that – His show was such a utopia and created this visionary future, a show which, by the way, he was already being pushed out of by the end of the first season and really out of of the picture by the third season. And if you look at the motion picture, also like a weird, wonderful three-hour sex metaphor, uh, (laughs) I, I think that is Gene Roddenberry thinking in 1979 what he was doing in 1966, and that's the revisionism that's that's gone in. But he had some wacky rules, like no drama between the no yeah. conflict between the characters,
1: right? Which um, is so not how
0: it yeah. would go. <laughs> and if you watch the third season, like I think about episodes like yesterday's Enterprise or Best of Both Worlds Part One, yeah, it it is like. It is hard to believe that those were being shot 18 months after Wesley running around on this weird sex planet in Justice. Right, right. They brought in... a lot of new writers. Uh, Michael Pillar be- took over as showrunner. It, it was a very there's a a tremendous uh, documentary called Chaos on the Bridge that really yeah, like goes through like the the toxic workplace and Roddenberry's uh, lawyer interfering with scripts and his old Tos writers, people like Dorothy Fontana, basically like leaving on bad terms.
2: And this a, was a in a the middle of, one of eight, the writer's eight. strike too. Uh, the, yeah. the writer's strike was the second season. Second of TNG. season, yeah, right which I that I mean I've always understood that to have some impact on how who remained and who didn't remain as far as the writing core of TNG going yeah. forward from the second season And left us with that clip show, Shades of. Left us with that clip show. Yeah. Um,
1: I gotta say this, and it's uncharitable. It's not even
2: just a clip show; it's a Riker clip show. It's A Riker clip show.
1: Give her a go dancing in the full moon, (laughs) like all those (laughs) stupid Riker questions that aren't. I mean, he's just always Riker to me. But um, this is uncharitable, but I can't stand Yar. I can't stand her. Mm. And when she's done, I'm like, bye, girl. Like she was the mom in Pet Cemetery. Do you guys? have you seen? No.
2: Pet Cemetery is a movie that traumatized me as a child. <sighs> you
1: know that was like my, Stephen King's my all-time favorite and that was one of my very favorites. I had to take a break from it now because I have little kids, like little, little ones, but like, she's an, a bitch in that. I, there's something about her face that bugs me <laughs> and like I just I'm watching it and I'm like I can't figure out why I can't stand this broad because there's nothing overtly offensive about her but I it just rubs me the wrong way and like I was I read like a bunch of stuff about how you know unhappy she was and they're like you can just tell she's miserable and I was like maybe that's what it is like
0: right. I think that she didn't get to benefit from the the growth that the rest of them had. Like they're all pretty one dimensional in, in that Absolutely. first season. Picard just kinda yells at people and data's this like confused child.
1: I like forgot what a crab apple he was at the beginning. Cause I, I think I remember the later and in my head I'm just imagining him I don't know, I imagined it different where they were a little bit more they knew each other a little bit better he was just such a turd at the very beginning and it was funny because i tried to skip around with this so i watched a couple and then i watched josh the other ones that you recommended so like you know guys i really didn't like i didn't really didn't like the pilot i no. watched it again i can't stand cute i don't like his face either oh, it's no. two different
0: episodes mashed into one yeah. really
1: yeah and i read something like oh and then they tried to make it longer by adding this and that i'm like they didn't Need to make it longer. Like, it was fine. But I watched Timescape.
0: I suggested that one to you guys because I think that it's like, it is like a good middle-of-the-road next-gen that people remember. It's like an action romp. The characters are having fun. And then switcheroo, it turns out the Romulans weren't the bad guys. It was just these aliens trying to protect their young and... Big misunderstanding. Look out for little creatures and don't eat lead paint and all that. All that
1: <laughs> stuff, yeah. Um, the timey wimey weirdness, as you put it. Um, Doctor's got some some suicide bangs going on there. That's a whole look. Um, and then it's funny because I'm like, wow, six years has really aged them. <laughs> like, because I watched the some first season and then I jumped forward and I was like, oh, that's a whole thing. And then I know that I, this is not a thing I need to explain to you guys, but like the eeriness of data. There are times when I feel like his eyes must have been red in real life. And then they put that like metallic makeup on him, but you can still see the rims of his eyes. And there's something so eerie about that in certain shots. And I know they like play up his eyes and they're trying to make him seem, you know, I mean, obviously he's not human, but yeah, I don't know. That glimmer makeup is very 2002, like club girl to me that like iridescent shimmer makeup that he's wearing.
0: I mean, the truth is if you're watching the show Post kind of 2010, you're seeing it in a very different way than anyone before did because they shot it on film, but then they edited in video. And only when they went to do this, this uh, remaster that did it like, you know, really get to a point where you could read all the little in jokes on the displays and see when Worf's forehead is peeling off and things like
2: that. I love Data. Data is probably my favorite character as a kid. I don't know what that says about me or anything, but definitely big fan of Data. Spoilers for Nemesis. That uh, nobody should watch Nemesis. It's not a good movie, but it is very sad <laughs> to me personally. <laughs> when when Data dies.
1: Oh, what? Sort of <laughs> sort of,
2: right? Sure. He's- Maybe.
1: I watched Iborg, as you had suggested. That was a really good one. And I, I liked seeing a little bit more of um of LaForge too. So I liked mm-hmm. I liked that one quite a bit. Um and also starring uh Peace Du's chest hair, which is important because he's definitely wearing a bathrobe. Um
0: <laughs> That one's got I think one of the things they did really well with him in the middle of the show was give him this. Trauma, take yeah. take him down a peg and, and make him make him like walk with a wound for the next three years. And, and I think this one does it really well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was really well done. I forgot about Whoopi Goldberg for a second. She showed up, and I was so happy. She's a goddamn delight. I just love her. <laughs> Her, um, and everything and uh, yeah I don't know I just I just thought that was really good and you know you could it's funny because you know you can see where it's going within the first couple of minutes they have this plan and they're going to definitely decide that that's a bad idea but they all have to get there and they all have to talk each other into getting there.
0: There are hardly any Star Trek episodes where the, at the end they're like you know what let's do a genocide after all.
1: Right right yeah that <laughs> yeah, very rarely happens.
0: <laughs> Once in a while on Voyager. <laughs>
1: Right, right. But yeah, and, and at first, you know, it's funny because I think there's other shows or there's other things where it'd be played up different and they would do it. But, you know, so I just, yeah, I thought it was just well done. And then just randomly, I watched Captain's Holiday because I just wanted to do like a middle. And because I'm like, this is going to be ridiculous. and it was...
0: the peace dude chest one's... anthology.
1: Again, I just needed more... And, like, it's so is, funny. Which one's Captain?
0: I don't know the names. Riza. Uh, Riza. first Riza one. Oh, yeah. uh, okay, okay, okay. Which was going to be a totally different episode. You, you tell your story.
1: Oh, no. All I was going to say <laughs> was, you know, season three, the chest hair is still darker. And then by season six, it's it's snowy white. And he is wearing silver hot pants. <laughs> That's a real fucking thing. And he has zero chemistry with that Mimi Rogers lookalike that he fucks in the cave. Like, zero chemistry. And I'm laying there and I'm like, I would definitely lay in a cave with Patrick Stewart. And then he goes (laughs) to smoocher and I'm like, no, they have no chemistry whatsoever. And he's hot and she's hot, but nothing. There's just nothing there. So that was cute. What what, what was the episode supposed to be?
0: So Ron Moore, who he went on to make the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, Mm -hmm. which in a lot of ways is like his take on what he thinks Star Trek should have been. He came in with this you know, Ryza is a carnival planet and you can go in and see your greatest fear come true. And, and, uh, Picard goes in kind of on a lark thinking it'll be, you know, some jump scare, but instead he's retired as a tired old admiral and, uh, f- and Riker has replaced him as the captain of the enterprise and he, and his greatest fear is like the inadequacy of, uh, growing old. Oh no. And Gene Runbury kiboshed it and said, no, go get the captain late and have him run around and do an Indiana Jones thing for an hour.
1: (laughs) Which Uh. I enjoyed watching. That was more than I would enjoy him having a sad look in the mirror, Arizona, or something. Like, what in the world? Yeah, so I mean, I just thought it was kind of ridiculous. So what are some of our favorite things and some of the things we talked a little bit about, the things that are ridiculous?
2: I have so many favorite... uh, I mean, I don't know if you just want to talk about favorite episodes... I love Darmok. I think that's iconic.
0: With arms open wide,
2: yeah. Shaka when the walls fell. I don't know if that's like something that has reached outside Star Trek fans at all. Uh, for but and I don't even know now if that episode is really that good, except for the concept of these and the lines that are delivered in that episode. I guess it's the the whatever the interaction and the, the figuring out of the process, but like just the, the, I don't know why that episode reaches me so well, but it does. And I feel like I remember that very well. I also love the episode. I don't remember what it's called. The inner light. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that where he gets the flute? And yeah. he is, uh, I think that's an so Picard gets the flute and he is living this whole other life. Uh, where he is, you know, it's supposed that he's a delusional and he's not really a starship captain, but he's living this whole other life. And just the idea behind that episode, I think they did some really cool stuff with different concepts and ideas to explore. And there's something freeing about Star Trek as a sci-fi show that lets them explore these ideas and concepts that that always appealed to me when they would do some crazy thing like oh, this flute is going to make you like relive this whole past lifetime. And uh, I think that that's another one of those things that really speaks to me as a human being is the exploration of these ideas. And I think that's what makes Star Trek so great to me. We actually did a Darmok episode on our show.
0: Um, we used it as a frame for thinking about insider and outsider language and um, how people can be part of a community because they they feel they... They get the lingo, and also how they can be left on the outside of that.
2: Is this a shibboleth sort of thing? Is that what we're talking about? A a little bit, but
0: more about people finding their place in a community and using language to to signal the way the way they belong, Um, but also the ways that it can be like inadvertently used to exclude.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's
1: really interesting.
2: So, Josh, is your set like? Do you think that if I walk up to not just a random person, but like say at a, a comic con or some other place where nerds gather, are they going to understand if I say shock at when the walls fell? Yeah. I, th- gonna, I
0: think you'll get Temba, his arms open wide back okay. at you. <laughs> 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 All
2: right. This is, I'm not, you know, that's good to know. There's, there's so much good stuff, especially in TNG. I do think I am more appreciative of deep space nine it's kind of a very different look at the Federation and a, a way of exploring different ideas now. When I was a kid, Star Trek was my dream of, I want to go live on a spaceship and I want to experience this stuff and go explore strange new worlds and... that thing and i wasn't interested in the sort of dramatic deep political issues of deep Mm. space nine and now i think going back and looking at it there's a lot of really genius stuff that they did with exploring about how, like what life is like in the federation and the tough choices that they're making it's not all happy wonderful roses and utopian sorts of ideas in the federation necessarily
0: you know your show is about a canon and I think like the relationship to a Canon is really the distinction between n- next gen and deep space nine. And I'm not talking about star Trek canon the way, you know, fans on memory alpha will debate whether or not, you know, this planet was named this thing or another. I'm, I'm talking about what it means to be like the the core text, right? Because deep space nine is a critique of star Trek. It's, yeah. it's like what happens if you take these utopian ideals and you, put them in a war or make them deal with religious fanatics or make them deal with poverty and make them deal with like crappy family situations and, and wind them up and see them go and see what their limits are. But like, you can't do a commentary on a text without Without the text, it's uh, to to put it in a, a Jewish framework. You're not going to have your your Gemara without a Mishnah. You're not going to have your commentary without the core oral tradition around it. So I think I'm like you, where like I enjoy Deep Space Nine better as a uh, as a television show. But if I think about like the the Ur Trek, Next Gen seems to check that box a little bit more. Yeah.
1: yeah. What were some of your favorite parts? From next gen, Josh, and, or anything that you did on your show that really like was your favorite thing or stuck out to you.
0: Hmm. You know, I think beyond individual uh, episodes, I like the evolution of Picard as a character. It's such a subtle thing at the v- at the very end of the show. You know, a lot of series finales have a fundamental change, you know, think, think about Deep Space Nine. It ends with, and here's spoilers for something that ended 25 years yeah. ago. Yeah, <laughs> everything on Earth goes a spoiler. <laughs> Cisco's a wormhole god and Worf's an ambassador and O'Brien is uh, moving to Earth and and Cassidy's having a baby and Kira's running the station. Everything's different. What end, What changes at the end of Next Gen is Picard sits down at the poker table and it's like, Everything is the same as before but now he's learned to appreciate the people around him, to be vulnerable with them, to not feel like he needs this separation. And I think that as the show grew into itself, they got the comfort in like dealing with him as a as a human being, not just Kirk has to be this kind of action hero sometimes uh and to like really understand him as a three-dimensional person. In terms of favorite episodes, I you know the the big famous ones are all beloved for a reason your best of both worlds and yesterday's enterprise but i love the ones that are just a a classic adventure with a great mystery something like who watches the watchers which is you know those proto-vulcanoids and they think picard is a god or conundrum when they uh when they wake up and don't remember anything about themselves and there's one guy on the bridge who doesn't belong there
2: yeah yeah
0: i I think that's where the show really shines more than some of its like very special moments Mm -hmm.
1: very cool
2: i think some of that journey of picard was also probably a journey of patrick stewart getting more appreciative or more involved with i i I, you know and this is just this is not a fun fact in the sense that i haven't researched it it's just sort of what i have many times just urban lore sorts of ideas but my understanding at the beginning of the series, he was very much uh, held apart, held himself apart from the other actors and was, he was this mm-hmm. classically trained sort of, I don't know, whatever. Um, he was doing Shakespeare, right? And came to this show. And then I think that journey of Picard also reflects the journey of Patrick Stewart appreciating where he was and what a phenomenon it was um, more so than like oh, this is just sort of this thing I'm doing for a season or two. Or yeah, whatever. I agree.
1: I mean, I read that similar stuff. You know, he held himself apart. He would get annoyed when they'd break up into laughing and joshing around. Yeah, and I, that um, he uh, he didn't unpack for like the whole beginning of filming the first season because he was so certain they were going to get canceled. Like, um, so I I think you're probably right. It was a little bit of both.
2: I always point to TNG series finale as like if somebody asks me, "What's a show that has a good?" series finale. I'm like, go watch TNG. Uh, that I love the series finale of TNG. I've always loved the ending of it. I think it ends perfectly. There are so many television series of any genre that do the ending so badly and just kind of fades off into crap. And I think TNG actually did a wonderful job of tying it together. And then of course, then there's the movies too. But I, the series finale is I mean, I think that's a good movie in its own right. I'll often tell people if they're doing a rewatch
0: to get to the second last episode of Next Gen, watch the movies, who cares about the spoilers, and then hop in and and watch that final one. Because uh, it really is a satisfying ending in the way that the movies aren't. Because a movie needs to be a movie and be action and have 70-year-old Patrick Stewart punch people for some reason. uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Nice. What else? Anything else?
2: This is bad. This is super bad that we've done this, and now I have to go watch all of TNG again. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time in my life. I know. I'm like
1: trying to write down, like oh, I should watch this episode.
2: <laughs> trying to decide if I want to skip season two or not.
0: <laughs> I have a soft spot for Pulaski. I think I think she's a nice oh, no. change up Yeah, she's. I mean the the situation under which Gates was Gates left the show is terrible. <laughs> terrible. But uh, she's got an old school sort of like a Leonard McCoy thing. Uh, I, I like that crankiness. She changes the vibe up a little.
1: Yeah, I'm
2: t- I'm never a fan of Pulaski, partially because I was attracted to Gates McFadden. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, Is that on I the Paul
1: Theroux watch?
2: I guess so. But I, you know, going this is going back to what you said earlier. I also never really cared for Yar and Denise Crosby There's when she was on I don't know if they knew what sort of role she was supposed to fill in didn't the first season. Didn't seem like
1: they did. They didn't I mean a lot of the characters are really flat in that first season and so Well and
2: they like uh, she's referred to as sort of and she's treated as like a sex symbol in some of the episodes like this there's this right pretty uh, terrible episode where she is she has to engage in a fight for to the death. With oh, the a, racist yeah. one—the the very racist yeah. episode—and uh, and, uh, and then, but she's like, I, and then she's got this whole backstory that they sort of touch on, but never really flesh out, and it, she ne, she never. Uh, maybe it's just I never liked her either, so I'm with you on that. I did. Uh, one of my friends was like, well, why? Why don't you like her? She's fine. And I was like, no, I just don't. I don't. I'm it's not. just something
1: wrong with her face, man. Was, she got just, an attitude.
2: She was extra. She was an extra person. They didn't. Yeah, really-
1: they, I read that they almost got rid of Troy at the end of that season, too. But they were like, oh, we can't ask all these only three broads. Like we can't get rid of all of them at the same time. So we. but I, I liked her. I mean, she was five. She, her like little psychic moments were sometimes a little much, but. At that beginning they were a little like, oh, oh, like, but I, I don't know. I like I mean, also she's gorgeous, so there's that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, also like there's this thing where if you really look at their dilemmas, right? And what happened to them and the problems they're facing, pretty much every dilemma could theoretically be solved by just Data and Troy. It could they could have been the whole crew. And it would have been, they would have been fine. Like it would have been like the two of them together can pretty much solve anything they could into.
0: There's a terrific podcast called uh women at warp. That is um, oh, nice. a feminist intersectional critique of Star Trek. And I've been listening to it for years and it really changed the way I think about the franchise and, you know, something that they opened me up to was the fact that, and, and actually that, um, that the performers playing Crusher and Troy have spoken about is that they never really get to, um, act in their professional capacities. Like you hardly ever see Crusher and Troy working together to which you'd think would be like a natural pairing, the psychologist and the Absolutely. doctor mm-hmm. uh solving the problem. They're they're forced into the caring roles. There's the infamous uh Robin Hood one where all the boys get in a punching fight and they throw potted plants uh, like a little on the nose for the Gross. two potted plant characters. If you think about like a like a Bechdel test for I was Speck, just gonna say like,
1: they never pair Pass the Bechdel test. You know, like,
0: they do pass it once in a while, but it's like, you know, if they're if they pass it because they're in leotards stretching out on the uh, gym floor, uh, then you know, it's a it's a marginal one. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, no. and that's an area where I think later Trek did a lot better. Like you come in with with such a great range of of women characters through like Kira and Jadzia, Janeway, 709, yeah. Torres. And it it really fell flat. And I think that speaks to like the sexism of, of Roddenberry and the people around him.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, and that's the thing when I first really started watching it by choice, it was watching Janeway. And that, you know, made a difference for me, but it did make me want to go back.
0: And you um, know, she's coming back, right? Yes! <laughs> I don't know this. She's coming back for what? Uh, a Nickelodeon children's cartoon, Star Trek Prodigy. We don't know a whole lot about it, but no. I'm excited. And Anything with Janeway
2: in it, I'll watch.
1: Yeah, and maybe I
2: will can. confess that my Star Trek, like my love of Star Trek, is very deep and abiding. But as soon as everything went behind a paywall <laughs> of CBS, I, I was know, like. Right, right, right. Uh, this is this is like too. This is a step too far for me. I guess I don't know. I I, I haven't watched any of Discovery. Oh, well, I would dig into more
1: patrons so we can get CBS <laughs> for ourselves. <laughs>
2: We don't have it here
0: north of the border. Uh, All our streaming services are different. There's like a bunch of
1: Stephen King things on that one, and I really want to get in on that. Hmm. Yeah, if you're playing the uh, Nerd Cannon bus cat meowing drinking game, sorry, she's really going to town tonight. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the part where we talk about whether it goes in our canon or not, but I think I know what we're going to say. Paul?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I, this is, Star Trek is my preferred like space nerdy genre or space nerdy program of choice, I guess. Uh, And I would absolutely share Star Trek and my love of Star Trek with my son and, and mold him into a mini me of Star Trek enjoyment in a way. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. I I think some of it does wear kind of old if I'm looking at it through his eyes, but absolutely it will. Star Trek in general will be something that it will be a franchise that I share with him. And hopefully, you know, if he just gets into newer stuff and enjoys that, that's cool. And he maybe someday wants to go back and watch the old classic of TNG and we cannot talk about the original series. That's cool too. He can come so. over to
1: my house and watch it, <laughs> um, Josh. I, I have a theory. I know that it's in your canon since you're. Uh...
2: <laughs> well, on <laughs> the
0: shelf behind me is a you know a, a sedur, a Jewish prayer book, and a humash, a, a Jewish uh, scriptural text, and Maimonides, a Jewish philosophical text, and a book on the Talmud, and then you know Larry Nemachek's Star Trek compendium and the Star Trek encyclopedia and... Uh, yeah. Pardon me, Larry Nemocek's companion, and then the compendium with the spinning disc from the original series, no, put fun. out by B. Joe Trimble, and the Enterprise D blueprints. So, yes, they are they are canonical texts for me, yeah. in every sense
2: of the word. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the Jewish text, but I do have the <laughs> encyclopedia and companion, and those things that very much poured over the blueprints when I was a child. Oh, that's. And Beth?
1: Yeah, for me too, definitely. Um, I always enjoyed it, I think. Yeah, we'll have to see which version of it my girls might be attracted to once we kind of introduce it. But um, And I will let that interest take them wherever. But, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for, you know watching Kirk Smooch Uhura or watching, you know, (laughs) watching these ridiculous outfits. I mean, you have to know who Wesley Crusher is. I have a huge crush on grown up Will Wheaton, so that's important.
2: We didn't we didn't even talk about the the
1: the kids on the
2: No no well the kids too, but I was gonna say the uniforms of the first season of TNG.
1: Oh God. Yeah well that was my fun fact that was
2: the little skirt uh yeah the Yes. 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 Good lord. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, the mini skirts and the and like and then like I don't know what season later they on, try
2: they put dudes in the mini skirts too they
1: did but then so like later on then there's one where she's I think it's when they switch to the wool so she's got an asymmetric collar which is great for me and that but then they've got. Um, she's wearing this very, like, it's a boned corset scenario, and it, you know, I can just see underneath that she's, like, if she eats a cookie at lunchtime, she's, like, not going to be able to sit down. Now, that was one of the notes, too, that I wrote about the first season, and I think it tracks with their costumes, is that they they have this posture, like, they're all, like, they can't move, um, and they get more comfortable looking as time goes on. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where they where my girls end up on it, but I, I definitely will. What definitely goes in my canon. So yeah. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on and joining us. Do you want to share with people where they can find you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, the podcast is Star Trek and the Jews. We're on all the places one gets podcasts. We're on Twitter at Star Jews, And we actually have a live show coming up. Wow! Um, so it's a Zoom event. It's going to be through the Jewish Museum of Maryland as part of their year-long Jews in Space exhibit. Uh, it's coming up really, so, really soon, February 24th, uh, JewishMuseumMD.org. The tickets are pay what you can. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're talking about Spock and... And Nimoy and all things uh, Jewish and Star Trek.
1: Oh, that's so rad! I hope it goes awesome. Thanks. Um, that's really great. Well, thank you so much again. We had a blast. I hope you had fun. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks to Joe Costanza for writing our theme song. I would like to say a special congratulations uh, to Joe and his wife, who just had their first baby nerd um, hey, like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So really exciting. A new
0: That's
1: nerd. Tough. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so if you want more nerdy goodness, find us online. We're Twitter at NerdCanon. We're Instagram, NerdCanon Podcast. Shoot us an email. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash NerdCanon. Um, we'll see you in two weeks with Paul.
2: I think this is gonna bump. So we'll do fresh prints after this.
1: Fresh print. You just keep telling Prince. everyone that fresh prints is next.
2: It's coming. It's recorded. It's coming. We already it, recorded it. I want to make sure we get this in first, uh, because I want to make sure we get it in before uh Josh does his live oh, show. Oh, Yeah, so that <laughs> we can advertise
1: for it. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Okay, so go so check out, check that out, follow, follow Josh and, and listen to that show. And um yeah, until next time.
2: Keep nerd alive. We could talk.
1: I was yeah. like, do oh. I, can I? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you guys so much. That was so much fun.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, we're happy to have you.
1: I talk too much. Then that's the thing, and Paul doesn't listen. So that's our dynamic. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty much. It.